So I'll go ahead and do the intro because I think Taylor and I are both chomping at the bit to talk to Andy about his work. For sure. <laughs> let's let's yeah. do cool. it. <laughs> cool. Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Andy Berkey is our guest this episode. Greetings, Andy. Hey, how are you guys doing? Oh, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, we are very excited to have you on. Mm Mm-hmm. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I run the exoskeleton art space, and I'm a designer in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, and a DIY enthusiast, CAD cam evangelist, etc., etc. Noted tall person, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. I'm Mandy Berkey, and um, I'm kind of, I make stuff in my garage. Uh, no, I, I have a, a small shop in uh, central Illinois, a couple hours south of Chicago, where the guys are very familiar. And mm-hmm. um, I make, uh, amongst other things, uh, church furniture and um, pretty much whatever people can't find anybody else to make in this area. I love the idea of calling it furniture because that really takes uh-huh. a lot of the magic out of it. <laughs> that's that's one thing you, you learn about uh, very quickly working in old churches is yeah. they, they were just craftspeople doing their craft. Some days good, some days not so good. And it yeah. kind of it kind of relieves a little bit of the stress. Yeah, so I feel like I've never had the occasion to ask a guest about this before, but we're going to be talking about you know religious circumstances and so forth. Do you do you practice the uh, uh, the same religion that you make furniture for, or are you are you uh, separated from that spiritual thing? I'm actually I was raised by a evangelical preacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, was uh, by the time I was 18, I was angry and on fire and on the road to England to be as far away from anything related to religion as I could. Yeah. Um, through the course of the next 20 years or so, um, I began uh, a pretty intense study of Buddhism and mm-hmm. uh, follow most of those philosophies now, which gives me a very unique insight into uh most of my work is with the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. So it's uh, very odd. <laughs> this this reminds me of, um, so my, my wife's family's from Kentucky, and they're just across the river from the Creation Museum. Are you guys familiar with this? Oh, yeah. This oh, place yes. Where they've got like the animatronic uh, pre, I think they were vegetarian velociraptors or something like that. But, but So we all went just to kind of marvel at something that was really not our scene. But when I was there, I, I, I felt like such a fraud. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was going just to kind of like, I don't know, slum it. Or like, I don't know what the right term would be for it. And um, uh, now in that case, I wasn't, you know, performing this craftsmanship. And of course, the, the images that you've put up, I mean, there's there's no denying just the formal beauty of the things that you're making. Um and I'm I'm curious, are these largely are they restorations of existing pieces or complete um building from scratch? Well, in the mid seventies, uh there was a big effort by a lot of uh priests in the church to kind of modernize the the way that they it's called the liturgy, the way they do stuff in their in the room. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of the high altars and things were literally taken out and thrown in dumpsters. Yeah. Um, so when uh, people decide that, you know, a Gothic room should have Gothic furnishings, um, the first thing I do is is make a call out to anybody that would have some of those pieces, you know, in their attics or whatever, because a lot of people you know, would take stuff out of the dumpsters and, and take it home because it was too nice to throw away. Right. And um, so you, you get those pieces and then you kind of form a design around what little pieces are left and um, then you start building new. So Andy has shared some of the photos of his work with us. Is it all in one church or a couple different churches? No, there's, or? yeah, there's probably, I don't know, maybe seven or eight different churches that I've I've done work on or... I don't know, maybe a dozen. There's this great like octagonal piece. Is is that a baptism? Yeah, that's a baptis- baptismal font, right? It's funny because I, so I, I, Andy, I think I first heard about your work on the Re- Reclaimed Audio podcast a oh, year or so ago. I'm sorry. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love those and, guys. Uh, and I was like, wow, this person's seems really cool and their work sounds really cool. And I, I think at that time I saw some of your videos on YouTube and, um, and I was really sh- shocked. I guess it's just church aesthetic or something. But like, um, I always imagine the furniture that's made in a church to be made like in complete silence by monks or something. Right, right. <laughs> and you're a very a sleeveless shirt. <laughs> yeah, and you're like a very like cool, interesting person, and has lots of interesting, you know, thoughts about your work and stuff. And I was just like, wow, I never thought about like that like that like this church furniture is made just by this you know person who's doing a lot of interesting thinking about making and woodworking not like this sort of monk with a hood in a basement or something so (laughs) i do wear a lot of hoodies i mean i imagine that that work is probably pretty rewarding and that it um offers a lot of challenges um it seems like you know when you're negotiating with a priest or something that seems (laughs) seems daunting and i was just curious about like how how that work goes and sort of what what it's like to to work with um with a church which is something I've never had to do it can be all over the the ch- the chart really but you know it's um to be able to take uh, this takes a, a lot of especially early on it takes a lot of study into not only kind of the the basics of Gothic architecture but also the liturgy and the iconography of the church. So there has to be kind of this, um, you kind of put yourself in your own class because if you can speak, um, to a priest on their level of knowledge about the room, about, you know, cause a lot of those guys have to do, you know, um, study in Rome about architecture and part of their trips, you know, over there. And if you can communicate on that level, you know, it sets up a pretty cool relationships. I have to say that I have several really good friends that are priests that I started out to work for. And now, now we've become friends and, um, you know, it's, they, uh, they, they all kind of dig the, uh, little weird bald guy thing, you know, because, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just, you know, it takes a little bit of a tweaked brain to do a lot of this stuff. It seems like 
certain creative choices may not really be in your control. Right. Um, and I was curious if you could sort of unpack that for us, like, like color palette, for instance, I was like, Oh, are the, are those, I mean, I think of the Catholics as sort of the, the, they've really sort of thought long and hard about a lot of the imagery that they use. And I was just curious, Mm -hmm. like if color palette was sort of open or if that was sort of really, um, mold over and it's sort of given to you or just sort of how those discussions go? Well, it depends on the situation. A lot of times, um, you know, we're working sometimes with a designer and, uh, oh, okay. and then that takes it out of my control. Um, uh-huh. I kind of did a lot of that early on and tend to have migrated more towards wanting that control myself. Um, I also work with, um, some decorative artists, painters that are, um, that are really brilliant and bring a lot to the table, uh, in a, in a design. And, and that's what is really fun is when you can really start that collaborative process. But the, as far as the Gothic, uh, aesthetic goes, it's pretty regimented and it, it's uh-huh. kind of funny because, um, last year, Izzy Swan, uh, came by the, the shop for a day and just said, Hey, let's do a one day challenge. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I, I never realized how kind of regimented my process was until I had, <laughs> I had this sort of creative, free form creative madman in my shop and I'm trying to keep <laughs> up with him. <laughs> and, and in a, in a small way, um, the challenge that you guys presented sort of, that same thing reared its ugly head again <laughs> because I was right. like, Oh man, what, you know, I, I didn't have any confines except for, you know, a concept and go, yeah. which, which yeah, I think yeah. is really healthy for me to have to, uh, to have to do. So. Oh, good. Good. Izzy Swan is one of those people where I didn't realize that I've seen every single one of his videos on Reddit. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But now that I'm checking out the web page, it's like, oh, yeah, the, the guy with the bull jig on the table saw. And the oh, guy, yeah. <laughs> guy with all that. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to definitely check out his stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, his work is really cool. It, yeah. it is really, it, it, there are no boundaries whatsoever. It is amazing. Yeah. I, I feel like I run into this problem a lot with my students where, for me, there's this kind of delight in making something, um, weird where when it rubs up against functionality, like the weird stuff actually has to work better in order to pull something off in an unusual fashion. Mm -hmm. And then, but for me, it's like the greatest compliment is always just that it's so funny that it, that it actually goes, but it it has to go really well to be that funny. So my students (laughs) get so confused because when they do something really great, I'll just have this big belly laugh and they always think I'm making fun of them because they want to be so cool. <laughs> you know, I got to work on that. I'm not very good at being cool. Oh man. Tell me about it. Yeah. I just, I just, I just turned the bend on 40 and I feel like, yeah, they, 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 they came and took my papers away and that, now, I, now I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, you do, you do work on stuff other than churches. And so I was just curious what you're up, you're up to right now. And if you're working on anything cool that you wanted to share, uh, I've got, uh, a couple of things in the, in the works. I've got, um, I'm working on a Murphy bed for a private client, a residential client, which is kind of a cool. fun deal with the, uh, pistons and all that good stuff and, and making it function right. Um, kind of a fun guy that we're, 
introducing some uh, LEDs into the room and stuff that that uh, he is programming to respond to his music and so it's kind of a a lot of my um, residential people are um, they tend to be friends and um, so we do collaborative stuff with them and and it's uh, it's kind of unusual because a lot of people don't want a lot of client input once they get a signed contract and most of my world is is a little more open-ended than that and and we we leave some room for evolution and and uh of the design uh during the process which is the way i I like to do stuff and yeah that's cool and reb before we leave the churches behind i just wanted to underscore for the listening audience who might not and i mean i really encourage you guys to go check out the photos of this stuff but before you see the photos i mean this is some really really complicated decorative work and it's yes, the, the kind yes. of thing where it's all the little sort of doodly doots and curly cues that are just repeated over and over again with slight changes and um you know so a i just want to underscore how enormous and uh like for example were you working on that vaulted ceiling in that one image where you have uh, the really tall? Yeah. the uh, Well, just for, for scale, this big altarpiece that I built there that reaches yeah. about halfway up, that was 29 feet tall. Right. And 19 right. feet wide. So we did uh, <laughs> have to uh, get up into that ceiling. That ceiling, when uh, I got there, was just white. Everything that you see there was white. Oh, wow. I, As in white and featureless? I mean, did you add all of the, what would what, what appear to be support elements? And my architecture yeah, is pretty weak. Right. Those are called ribs. Uh, everything yeah. everything that you see picked out of the ceiling there. Those were all there, but they were painted into the, the background. So the right. detail was about maybe 10% of this visually of what yeah, you can yeah. see now. So, uh, yeah, a lot of plaster, uh, taking molds of plaster elements and recreating them. Uh, a lot of them had been stripped off the walls, uh, to yeah. try to, try to make the room more plain. So, uh, man, dude, we were just winging it every, every <laughs> possible way. I'm going up to countryside Illinois to, uh, to a, uh, molding and casting supplier up there and just hanging out for days <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, I had no idea what I was doing when I, when I pulled this off wow. at all. It, I mean, I mean, listen, you know, Rob, I think you and I have our own examples. Rob, off the top of my head, my best example for you would be uh, trying to shoot beers out of a softball pitching machine. But, but I feel like uh-huh. in terms <laughs> That's of awesome. scale, like in terms of scale and just making, I don't think I've ever gotten above, you know, like six feet wide. And then I thought I was hot shit. So just like yeah, seeing exactly. this. Oh my God. That's, it's, it's just massive. Yeah. 29 feet by 19 plus the ceiling is very, very, very tall. Yeah. That's a 60 foot vault there. And as a completely non-religious person, I mean, the only thing that really moves me about this territory is the architecture. And so, yeah, it's just, I, you know, you could imagine somebody of any faith or non-faith just occupying the space and just taking it in. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very effective. Really yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the fascinating part about Gothic architecture is, you know, originally it was, it, 
it was an idea to communicate this concept of, uh, you know, a higher being to mm-hmm. people that, that had no concept, you know, they were medieval workers, you know, and it, it right. works. It, it absolutely uh-huh. <laughs> works. It, uh, it makes you, if you walk in and, and people's head, you know, snap up towards the ceiling, then, then you've done a pretty good job recreating what's, what's supposed to happen. It's, it's also interesting, you know, I was just talking to another artist in Chicago, and I'm sorry, Andy, did you say that you had been pursuing Buddhism? Was that what you were saying yes. at the outset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was just talking to an ex-Mormon the night before last, and, and he too had grown up in a really orthodox environment and then was pursuing Buddhism. So I wonder if there isn't something to that. And I, I don't want to make you talk about this no. sort of personal thing at length, but... Um, it's funny because the first image you had, which was Rob, did you had you identified that as a like a holy water container or a baptismal container or something? Is that that what that first image is? Yeah, yeah, that was. I saw the water and I so I was like, oh, water. Many. I was like, it's not a bird bath. Well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I guess uh, it could be. But yeah, but, but yeah the, the sort of the use of gold and the occasion of red on there and then those circular or at least geometrically circular elements. It, that was my first guess before I saw the context of the rest of the Gothic stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I suppose all of those uh, pursuits are connected to, you know, the, the symbols of the circle and the right. environments that cause you to kind of blow your mind and so forth. But just, yeah, f- funny that Buddhism came up a couple times in, in the same context. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, uh, you know, you realize in your mid-30s that you're really angry and have been since junior high. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you kind of look, ar- <laughs> <laughs> look around and go, well, I'm kind of burnt out on being angry, so what yep. makes sense, you know? Yeah. So I actually took a kind of a side door uh, through some internal martial arts study that kind of yeah. opened the door and... and uh, Made me not angry, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. Nice. That's great. I think that's, that's an really excellent great. place to start us out. We, we seldom are yep. in such a, a thoughtful place as we embark, yeah. <laughs> embark on <laughs> the great. invention yeah. sharing. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Good vibes. I want to I yeah. I, I see some stuff. <laughs> so, so speaking of good vibes, our, our challenge is opposable thumbs. Yep. Opposable <laughs> thumbs. Which is, was themselves. given to us by... Our first listener contributed challenge, Nick Kantar. Thank you very much for calling in and giving us the recursive challenge of us challenging ourselves with the title of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Taylor, I think I'm first this episode. Ooh, nice. Okay, so so Andy, uh, why don't you why don't you um, open that thing up and just start diving in, and I'll, I'll be paging through and talking with you. I'm just starting out on that black title page with a pink, opposable thumbs, big bold, non-serif font. What else we got here? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Did I get the right one? This says lateral motion. Yeah, yeah. I think um, if I'm not mistaken, he's going to be sort of working back through previous challenges. And distilling ah. some of the things that we talked about in a previous episode. Was this just the last one? I think this was a couple ago. Um, lateral motion. Uh, my quote is, I'm kind of horrified that you didn't paint it black and then white, says me. And Rob says, that was my first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel impending doom 
with a picture of gray acrylic leather paint. The plot thickens, as it were. We're going to semi-murder these out, I'm, I'm thinking. Because <laughs> wow. the original yeah. shoes are lime green, kind of a blocky, almost like urban camouflage, gray, black, lime green, and white blockiness. Now moving to, uh-oh, silver. More of a silverish now. Whoa. I like where you're taking this. This kind of has a uh, kind of a, I'm thinking almost like spaceman boot feel to it. Yeah, that's my jam. (laughs) Andy, have you ever met Rob in person? I have not had the pleasure. He he definitely has, more than almost anyone I know, he's got a look that's like it, like that cuts across all of his, um, all of his outfits. And one of the things that's most distinct is the shoes. So in a previous episode, he was talking about not being able to buy both the shoe style and the um, pattern that he'd always gotten historically. And so he was setting out to try and craft that in a previous episode and kind of bit the dust. So it looks like he's revisiting the project in order to get it closer to his vision. Andy, if you like, I'll read the um, next one. And I'm really curious to see what you make of these because you don't have the context necessarily of what we were up to the first time, whereas I'm kind of cheating. So, So episode 26, Fermentation. And a quote from Cedric Ty, which was, in the realness of two weeks, I was like, but what if you don't make anything in two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This looks like a 3D printer head. Uh-huh. Man, I don't know what I'm looking at. It's definitely not 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 probably apparent to anyone what it is. <laughs> Yeah, the gate. I think I don't have an inside track on this this time, but Andy, what were you going to yeah. say? I'm a little at a loss for words, to be honest, guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting kind of this uh, almost looks like a nut type shape or a you right. know bolt head type shape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's probably maybe <sighs> uh, three, I don't know, like four, I'm going to say four to six inches across in diameter. Um. Right. And then it's got kind of a mushroom head. So imagine, as Andy was describing, you took a comically oversized bolt, like a hex head bolt, and right. stood it up on end. But then the bolt portion is actually quite short and stubby, like a tuna can. Um, and then there's some kind of hole in the center, which leads me to believe that it's um, something akin to like a... Um, you would turn this thing down onto a threaded rod... Uh, so it would be like a big, um, uh, what's the word, like a dial. What's the word I'm looking for here, Andy? A knob, mm-hmm, like a mm-hmm. like a big knob. Yeah, giant knob. Um, and I can't tell if he's got maybe a threaded insert pounded down in there or something, or if that's just... Because the, the final image, too, is that the thing turned over? Is that what we're looking at? It's got to be. Yes, I would think. Yeah, so it, right, it, right. it looks like it's some kind of lid now. Uh, but I'm, I'm not, uh, Rob will have to wow. tell us what it went, wound up being. So in the fermentation episode, my, I had high hopes that were quickly dashed by me not knowing what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and my goal was to make a fermentation lid for a Mason jar. Aha. And a, a fermentation lid is Typically, is you you can buy them like uh you know online or something, and 
they come in different different configurations, but the most simple one is a lid that has a little reservoir in the top that you fill with water. And by filling it with water, um, CO2 gas from the fermenting vegetable or fruits inside can escape, but then um, they're, they're not exposed to uh, the, the air or elements so they don't mold mm-hmm. or bacteria doesn't get in or whatever. So I had originally wanted to make one of these on my 3D printer, and instead what happened on that episode was I fought with my 3D printer for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and made every noob mistake ever that I could and ended up with just a pile of random bits of plastic at the end um, instead of actually succeeding. And so I was, um, and you guys nailed it, like I was like, oh, my! if I'm going to be inspired by my own podcast, I should be inspired to try again the things that mm-hmm. I tried and, and really felt like I super failed at. So I picked two projects, um, one of them being the silver shoes that I wanted to paint and then and that Taylor totally nailed right out the gate my mistake of not having sort of knocked out the original design mm-hmm. with black and white um, paint first before doing the over paint with it into silver. And so I did that this time and it, they came out pretty good. I still have a little bit of touch-up work to do, but... Um, I'm pretty excited about how those are turning out. So I'm, I'm happy about that success. And then the second one was this jar lid uh, that I wanted to 3D print. And I will say, though, that I I started this. Um, so we, we record every two weeks. And I started the jar literally the next night being like, I'm jumping on this early. I know what I'm going to do. I was all confident. <laughs> and I spent another two weeks like wrestling with my 3D printer to get it to work right. And I... I have learned so much about 3D printing in the past, in these past two challenges <laughs> involving my 3D printer that, that I, I feel actually quite good about what I learned. But the irony is, is I, I bought my 3D printer assembled instead of in kit form because I was like, I just want to take this thing out of the box and start printing. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, for weeks, I've wrestled with it. I might as well have bought in the kit. But I successfully got it. So I got the jar lid done. I don't know any anybody that picks up 3D printing and has any other experience. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I I I got to jump in and say this is as I've become familiar, more familiar with your guys podcast is this mm-hmm. is the brilliant concept of it's almost like a force-fed uh, <laughs> uh pushing yourself outside of the box by intent every 2 weeks. Yes, it is. I admire the heck out of it. It's it's a brilliant concept, and I admire you guys just busting out. And that'll be my admiration will become more evident as you get into my train wreck. Oh, all right. You got something to drop on us there? Ooh. Okay, so there's a ton of images. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just going to open them up kind of get... <laughs> And I already like the preview for the first one here. Oh, yeah. We've got some nice images here. Oh, oh. Aha. Aha. Awesome. So the first image is two interlocking thumbs pressing against one another and not, um, not with like hands clasped necessarily, but like um, if you sort of stacked one of your fists on top of the other one upside down and then sort of pulled uh, the two interlocking thumbs against one another. Mm-hmm. That's maybe how I describe that. 
It's kind of like trying to describe a term without using the term in the description. <laughs> They're sort of like thumbs that are in opposition in some way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, we've got a pretty big print. Oh, I jumped ahead too. Sorry, on accident. But Taylor, I'm on the third image, which is a, a pretty large looking black and white print of these thumbs. And it's cool to see them in Andy's shop as... Andy Shop is a thing I have seen on YouTube a lot, so it's really neat to see it like in, a, in an image on my laptop. Yeah, so first we had the thumbs in that photo, and then yep. they were made black and white, and then now they've been printed out on paper inside yep. the shop. I think I'm on the same image as you, Taylor. Let me make sure. Six three. I see a, a red, mm-hmm. yes, a red table saw blade sticking up, and it looks like some previous cuts have been made in this um, sort of one by six, maybe something like that. And in the and fence as looks... well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of nice scrapes in the fence. Uh, shoot, I forget what you call those cuts, but I think of, I've frequently made those cuts where it's like a, a partial cut through the board in order to like slide in the future, like a one eighth sheet of melamine for like a drawer bottom or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into that notch. But my woodworking terminology is very, very poor. So apologies uh, for not explaining that correctly, but that's, what feels like could be happening here. Yeah, well, if you imagine just setting the table saw height to, say, an eighth inch or a quarter inch high out of the table and then running a thicker piece of wood over the top of it, you're going to get a slot. Yep, a slot. Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Uh, So as we come down, you can see it looks like we're heading towards a sort of classic picture frame arrangement where you take this long piece of stock and you run it through and then you turn it 90 degrees and run it again so that you can kind of notch out a square area so we have both slots and a more complex notch as well curious to see where that goes yes as taylor mentioned there's some sort of slots cut into this wood and now we see a looks like a gallon of denatured alcohol Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so is it is that going to be used to thin out some kind of stain or something? Yeah, it looks like it, right? There's some black stain here mm-hmm. made by a company called Sure Wood. As all wood products have to have the word wood in their, <laughs> in their name. <laughs> and there's a plastic cup that looks like will be the receptacle for the adventure. And then in the next image, we're seeing some application of this stain onto the wood. And that wood is very light colored, maybe pine or something like that, or maple, or something very light. So in high school, a friend of mine tried to dye his beard black with um hair dye that specifically said not for use on facial hair and so it so it it went purple and i wonder if if there's something related here (laughs) (laughs) oh now we're seeing some nice a nice shot i'm on image 151.jpg yeah oh so i'm looking at image ending in Mm 805.jpg and it's that like acrylic or it sure is fracturing like acrylic yeah yeah, it's got a really interesting shearing happening when the blade goes through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and now we see some spray adhesive. Mm-hmm. Oh, this might looks like it could be spray mounting the printed image of the thumbs onto something. Mm, the and acrylic, it could maybe. be the acrylic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mm-hmm. would be my guess. Aha! Oh, and then we see what looks to be a compound miter saw, and knowing Andy. This compound miter saw probably gets a greater workout than any other compound miter saw on the face of the earth. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> because you're always, it's like so many of those Im- 
angles in those photos are like crazy octagonal beveled <laughs> insanity and it's like and i was just thinking like man i bet his compound miter saw gets a workout and now here's a picture of it so <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm also going to be curious to ask him when we get to the end here because I, I would have expected that um you would stain after assembly now clearly i'm not questioning uh-huh. andy's woodworking as <laughs> the dude <laughs> the dude knows what he's doing so it's just i'm bookmarking something so i can learn um, when we hmm. when we arrive at the end here yeah ditto that yep oh okay and now we've got yeah definitely a sort of almost light box maybe mm-hmm. vibe happening mm-hmm. being made with the wood and it looks like those miter cuts were used to cut a frame out out of the um, pine and and it looks like my suspicion of the slots in the pot and the wood um are being used to slot that acrylic into those slots so it's a um we're getting the corners of a box and then the acrylic is slotted into one of those mm-hmm. uh, very much like a picture frame uh nice so yeah it's shaping up uh it's got the acrylic is offset maybe an inch or two there's sort of an uh-huh. air gap and then the image starts in there oh i guess we have a, a sheet of plain oh. acrylic and then a mounted sheet of acrylic we've got two panels really one is the the panel that has the thumbs printed on it and then there's a piece of plexi in front of it maybe an inch to sort of um almost make it like a light box or something mm-hmm. like with that kind of depth yep oh yeah and then we're bringing in the classic uh ribbon slash rope led lights i'm guessing oh, i'm guessing yeah. that these aren't addressable but i could be wrong um, so maybe they just show up in one color, but there's a possibility that they could be multicolored as well. It's funny. Just today I was thinking I've never done a project with LED strip lights and I was like, I got to try that. There so, it is. Yep. And now I'm looking at one. Yeah. So the, the LEDs require a very, very small amount of clearance so they could get notched back into the rear part of the frame without a lot of hubbub. And then mm-hmm. it, it looks like the power supply is going to be kept on the outside of the frame. Nice. And there it is. Yeah, there's the finished piece. Voila. Yeah, so Taylor, what would you say the dimensions are of that? Uh, it's really hard to say. Like the the things that, yeah. well, let's see. Let me go look back at something in the shop. Uh, I'm going to guess that thing is like 18 by 12. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andy, how how do we do? Pretty darn close. Seventeen by eleven. But yeah, uh, spot I should I should have gone with the standard size. <laughs> <laughs> it's like eight and three eighths by eleven and a quarter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. wow. So uh, nice. Tell us a little bit about hey, your processor. You guys yeah, yeah. crushed it. Well, the process is one of abject failure. Before anything ever happened, before anything was cut, molded, thrown, or cursed at. Yeah. I do a lot of uh, work at um, Kinko's FedEx, uh-huh. um, working with images um, to get them the way I want, and then and then I can uh, put those on uh, wood or whatever and, and use them as a starting point for carving. So, oh, cool. so originally this was going to be a bit of a, like a bas relief of mm-hmm. these thumbs. I love the brutality, the visual brutality of a high contrast black and white photo. Mm-hmm. And th- yeah. this one in particular, I took, uh, of, that's a selfie as it were. <laughs> um, but the, the first, 
couple of images, as soon as uh, that color went to black and white, uh, to me, this shape of these two thumbs had a bit of a of a yin and yang type of uh, vibe to it, mm-hmm. which sure. I kind of wanted to emphasize the sort of opposable part of opposable thumbs. The fact that there's, for me, there's always an, kind of a struggle to create something um, as if one hand is fighting against the other almost. Mm-hmm. Sure. But then the the full circle of it is that's also sort of uh, a level of balance for me. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, and so those are you, you said it's a self portrait, and I was curious. Those are your thumbs, then? Yes. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Then who is pressing the shutter button? <laughs> yeah. Ty, I I have a above my bench. I have a um, an arm that uh, kind of like a boom arm, and yeah. uh, and I just put the camera on a ten second timer and shot it straight down towards a white background. Yeah, the thumbs could be anyone's thumbs, but having them in the context of a discussion about Gothic architecture and Buddhism, you know, the uh, <laughs> that's perfect. Those thumbs have a much different story than than my thumbs, for example. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And yeah, Andy, could you answer that one question? Uh, to tell me why you uh, decided to stain before uh, before cutting. Ah, that's uh, because of the involvement of, of burying those uh, sheets of plexi. Um, I didn't want to, I wanted to get it all one color before, um, so I didn't have to clean up next to the glass. Oh, of course. That makes total sense. Yeah, nice. Oh, I always love it when we can have both a very pragmatic tip and also like a, a way out floating in space kind of tip at the same, in the same <laughs> Yes. <project. laughs> Excellent. Well, most of what I do is self-taught, so it's about uh-huh. as, as simple and uh, pragmatic as, <laughs> as it can possibly be. You know, I do a lot of things that probably shouldn't be done the way they are, but that's just the way I figured it out initially and I've kept doing it, so... Sure. Taylor, Taylor, we've invited the right person to the podcast. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Taylor, you are up next. Aha, aha. Andy, maybe um, I'll let you go first. Well, I'm going to break this. I'm not an electronics guy, so I'm going to break this down visually. And Great. the first place my mind went was sort of like a Southwest Indian of oh, yeah. vibe. <laughs> yeah. You guys feeling that? Yeah. Yeah, for yep. sure. The other thing is sort of like a uh, stadium seating chart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It's a like a pin diagram or something. I see different com- electronic components <laughs> by name, AT1085 and ICSP header, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. And then each pin on those is labeled so uh and the chip itself is uh made with red lines and then there's like a little uh sort of extension on each one that has a green bar Mm -hmm. which is giving the southwestern vibe that andy so accurately described (laughs) um and then there's a similar diagram for the icsp header and then there's something called hema h-e-m-a which i don't know what that is now, this looks more like a, a circuit diagram to me. We see AT1085 and then those four pins and where they would be soldered on surface mount. 
is my suspicion is what we're looking at. And this feels like this could be building upon a project Taylor has been working on, on and off of these cool, uh, like extensible electronics, little electronics platforms that take the form of a conference badge, but we'll see what's happening. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. So Andy, I'm on image number three, and this looks like a Scantron test to me. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Scantron. Always go see. Always see. Yeah. Always see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the heme, I think the HEMA is short for hermaphroditic. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is a connector that Taylor had described that is a really cool idea of, of instead of being like a classic male-female two-part connection where you have to have some quantity of the male pieces and some quantity of the female pieces in order to connect them together, you just have to have two of the same connector. And I think if I'm right, you flip it over and it will oh. sort of marry itself to the other one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh and this looks to be six of the same thing. And there's like screw holes. Uh, those yellow holes in the each corner look like a place that you could like bolt the circuit board onto like a project box or something like that. Mm-hmm. So these could be the badges. Oh, wow. I'm on the web page, Andy. <laughs> yep. Thing. Okay. So this is giving a lot of the detail for the yes. PCB. Yep. Two layers. It's a two, yeah, two-layer board, yep. Oh, I have a lot of questions for you, Taylor, about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely showing you guys a bunch of stuff that's not super visual. So why don't you take a look at the video, which is much more visual, okay. and then we can cool. just and break it down and just talk about it. If you want, we can hit play together on 3, 2, 1, and I'll, I'll do 3, 2, 1, and then we can hit play. That way we'll be looking at it uh, together but in different places. <laughs> Uh, three, two, one, play. Whoa. Oh, cool. So we're looking at... Is that the different layers of connection? It seems like it, right? Yeah. That there's red and blue, and some of those red and blue lines go to the same place, and some of them are going all over the place differently. So the blue would be the wiring for one layer? Yes. The path and, and uh, the red for the other layer? Yeah, good job, guys. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> Come on. I'm really good at this. Real yeah. good. <laughs> well, we made it. We made it this far. I'm still thinking it looks like uh, landscape design. So yeah, this has like definitely like a subway train map vibe. Yeah, the tube. It would yeah. be super cool to repurpose this little um, path seeking algorithm for other stuff. Yeah. So so this is all work in um, uh, Autodesk Eagle. And um, so I've been spending a bunch of time. I'm actually, I have active collaborations going on with two former uh, podcast guests right now. So Jay, Steve, and Lee and I have been working together on some video, like some industrial videos uh, cool. for a manufacturer. And then I've been working with Nick Bontrager. And I've, I've mentioned this kind of over the last few episodes, but this time I really sat down and I realized it's really been a long time since I learned a new piece of software and really, you know, really kept at it and did a couple hours every day and so forth. So um, I took, so really the sort of primary product that people might be interested in is is I have a whole tutorial now on my website that I've just linked to on the Slack channel 
for how to use Eagle because uh, I found it just to be one of the least intuitive pieces of software I've ever touched. It um, really is. Yeah. Super weird, man. But the, you know, the nice thing is it's free. And so, um, you know, you can just hop right on the Autodesk site and get it. I, I think it used to be quite expensive. So it can do some basic stuff like importing DXFs, but for the most part, you have to work with the really kind of clunky onboard drawing tools. And then the whole process involves making first the schematic view where you're just sort of describing a definition for a part. So you'd go to the manufacturer, you download their PDF, and you want to use this particular LED or something. Um, you can decide to trust the manufacturer's Eagle schematics, but almost nobody does. So then <laughs> in in 2018, everybody still goes and downloads effectively a paper PDF and then just looks at the drawing and then recreates that on the computer over and over and over again. <laughs> this is happening... Wow. You know, thousands of times a day, basically, because nobody trusts each other's schematics. Um, so you make the schematic view, then you make the package view, which is the actual physical object and how it would set down in real life. And then you marry those together under a device, and you can make libraries of these devices. So you drag it out of the library and plop it down. Um, then you define which thing is hooked to which thing electrically, so if you take a look at image 1-1, it was the second image we looked at, uh -huh. uh, you can see what are known as air wires. So these are just visual representations that there's a connection between two, two points. Um, so you get all these air wires, and then you kind of move everything around so that you get as few collisions as possible. And then you do this auto-routing routine. And so that's what you guys saw in the little video is all the paths trying to make, you know, make it happen without falling off the board or getting in each other's way. Wow. Um, so that's why a two-layer board makes it so much easier because you can go through the board via a via. <laughs> you know, the, it's an actual, uh -huh. like, a little plated tube, basically, that lets you move a trace electrically from the top of the board at the bottom and back. Uh, so, yeah, so the blue and red traces are everybody trying to get where they need to go without... Uh, crashing into each other. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other color coding for, you know, SM, SMD pads and through-hole pads and all that stuff. Um, this board is panelized, so I'm using this manufacturer called Seed, and they they have a special on 100-millimeter uh, square boards. You can get 10 of them for um, $4.90. Wow, you got <laughs> I mean, it. So cheap. Completely amazing. The The shipping is on the order of like 28 bucks um, to get it here within one to three days. But I think it's about 10 business days at the outside and you can get these things in your hand and try them out. And so that the, you know, the prototyping cycle gets really tight. It's pretty exciting wow. stuff. Wow. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question about the air wire concept. So I'm mm -hmm. looking at the one, one, one image. Uh -huh. Is that so I see ATtiny 85, and in the first column, I see like little green lines, and that's mm -hmm. PB5, PB3, PB4, and ground. And then the next row over, column over, excuse me, is red, and it says PB5, PB3, PB4, and ground. Mm -hmm. Is Could you describe what that is? Yeah, so when you're making a definition for a device, which needs to include both, both a schematic and a package, th yes. this is the okay. schematic view. And so if I have an oh. AT Tiny, it's going to have eight pins on it, and they each have a name, 
Now, yes, Eagle doesn't really care, so I could name them, you know, Sally and John and whatever. Uh-huh. But just uh-huh. to keep it easy to remember, I'm just naming them in the same convention they use in the data sheet. Yeah. And then, Andy, yeah. if you haven't worked with this stuff before, it's it's effectively right. like the Arduino. It's It's a little chip you can get. And you can load commands into it, and then it can, you know, listen to certain inputs, and then, um, in gotcha. certain circumstances, you know, output behaviors. Mm-hmm. So, so here we're doing the basics, you know, hooking everybody up to ground, hooking everybody up to power. But then the different components need to talk in different ways depending on what you're trying to do. Right. Um, so this is just a small piece of a much larger schematic, but this only describes. Um, what everybody is named in terms of pins and who's connected I to see. who. Okay, um, okay, yeah, cool. So it would be, for example, with the ICSP header, if I wanted, I could have just named those like one through six. Right. And then back at the AT Tiny, you would see PB4 connected to pin six and so Got forth. So, okay, that, that was my question. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, so we're seeing that sort of conceptual linkage between the components on this page right? just by them being next to one another. Uh in the sort of quote-unquote air wire. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Yep. Wow. So Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. Yeah. You guys, I really recommend everyone check this out if you get a chance. Um, and in fact, if, if people like it enough, I'll, I'll go ahead and pitch a, um, a tutorial on Linda about Eagle because I don't see one on there. But oh, it's um, amazing there isn't one, yeah. Even if there's something simple, like, for example, Andy, if you were going to look at a slightly more fine-grained control of your... Um, LED strip lighting. Yes. Um, And you were talking about working with a guy who wanted to do an interior with reactive LEDs. Right. Um, You know, if you go to the treble to make a circuit, even if it just has a couple components on it, it's just so blindingly cheap to get these proto boards um, from China. And I've already talked about AliExpress, for example, on here. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's really worth checking out. And um, with this little tutorial I did in hand, it's a lot easier to get started faster. Man, there are some weird, weird user experience decisions in this thing, Rob. You're gonna have, <laughs> I bet. You're going to have a bet. field day when you look at this. You and Charlene can uh, can get in there and, and yuck it up. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of, of user experience, um, Andy, I was curious. I know you're the first person I ever saw that, that was holding a real live Shaper Origin. Ah. I was going to ask the exact same thing. I'm glad you brought that up. And I was curious how how that adventure has gone, and also um, if if it has like been if it has influenced our sort of if you felt its presence sort of in your through your work, you know, like either uh, with a client or with a church or something like that. Um, well, the the first part of it was pretty interesting. I I was asked. I developed a relationship with. Shaper through, um, actually I was at Maker Fair in, uh, Bay Area Maker Fair a couple of years yeah. ago. And, uh, Jimmy Duresta asked me if I had seen it. And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And so he nearly physically drugged me across the fairgrounds to, uh, <laughs> to the Shaper booth. And he was right. As soon as I saw the concept, it, it was, um, I was all in, you know, and in a small shop, I'm just, I'm not going to give up 32 square feet of, of uh, shop space for, you know, a, a traditional bedded yeah. CNC, much less the learning curve of it for, you know, a guy, a middle-aged 12 year old, as I describe myself. <laughs> um, so 
we we started to develop a relationship and uh I and I was asked to uh be in on the testing of the uh user interface uh pre-production or you know mid-production as the hardware is being produced they were still fine-tuning the the software and the UI and uh it was really cool cuz basically you know I always say that uh I would turn a camera on and and uh, futz around with with the with the uh the, the shaper origin for the listeners is is a a handheld CNC for lack of a better description it's um no gantry or anything like that it's it uh, you put um a very high resolution uh domino tape on a work surface and then your work surface in essence becomes the bed of the CNC um so it, you know i i would turn a video camera on and stumble my way through different different parts of the of the interface and send them to uh shaper origin out in or a sh- shaper out in san francisco and i think all the engineers would take their lunch break and sit around and laugh at me for for 35 <laughs> minutes you know so they swear up and up and down that they didn't do it but they said they were more like <laughs> cheering for the for the old guy to uh <laughs> he's he's about ready to do it right go go man go <laughs> so and it was I a could, fascinating experience if i could throw in um depending on how you define it just for the listeners there's a a man a kind of gantry where the interior so imagine like taking a yeah. router a plunge router but on the interior, it's able to actually scoot you around just a little tiny bit. It's got like I don't know a half inch or an inch of travel, Correct. where it can it can offset the cutting surface. So you're trying to follow along with a pattern that's being put on this little heads up display, and as long as you stay within that margin, loosely tracing the line, then the machine fixes the remainder of the shake in your hand, and you get a perfect part, right? Correct. That's that's well said. It's, um, it's a super it, awesome it's project. Micro adjusting for you know you as a human you are providing the the propulsion to get the thing around the design um, that's existing in this virtual workspace, uh-huh. and uh, and then the micro adjustments happen um, within. I think it's a one inch circle of. I call it the stupid circle, the stupid zone. <laughs> so as long as you can, with your tongue hanging out of your mouth, uh, keep it in that one one inch area, you're you're accurate. Well, Rob, we did it. What's the uh, what's the wind up here? Yeah, I'll uh, read us out, and then Andy, I believe you have a challenge for us upcoming. Uh-huh, so dude. we're excited to hear that. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, you can find photos of our finished projects at projects.opposablepodcast.com we have links in our show notes and we post cool stuff to our instagram account which is opposable underscore podcast.com uh we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker if you share a podcast episode on social media or something like that uh email whatever uh let us know and we'll send you a sticker uh you can email us at opposablepodcast at gmail.com uh, with your address and uh, we'll shoot you a sticker in the mail um, we'd like to give a shout out to a couple of our Patreon supporters, uh, Nick Kantar, who gave us this challenge. Thank you again, Nick, and Walter Katundu. Uh, and if you'd like, you can join them in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses at patreon.com slash opposable thumbs. 
our podcast is dedicating to dedicated to providing a harassment free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. All right. Um, Andy, do, yeah. Do you have, uh, before we get into the challenge, do you have any, um, links that you'd like to share URLs and like things that you're into tools you're fascinated by video, cool videos that you've seen, anything like that? Well, I've got a couple, um, I'd really like to, um, promote, uh, a book that's just been published by uh, Make Magazine's publishing arm oh. by Gareth Branwen. Oh, uh, tips! Cool. This guy, if you ha- if you don't know who Gareth Branwen is, he he is um, one of those people, a writer and an artist for decades that has just been pumping out cool, really cool work and and an absolutely uh, brilliant guy to to get to know. But uh, six months or so ago, he reached out to me and, and asked me to uh, make a contribution to the tips and tales from the workshop book that he uh, has just put out. So um, I did, and it's it's been fun to um, you know do a review and and uh, be involved in the project, and and I really dig how they illustrated it. It's just really a cool book, and there's a ton of information in there for artists and makers. Um, from sewing to e- electronics. So he really covers a wide range of stuff. You can open it up and just glean something new every time you open it up. Kind of fun. Nice. Awesome. So uh, my YouTube shout out that I really, um, if you don't know, do you guys know who Bobby Duke Arts is? No. Bobby, I met Bobby at the Atlanta Woodworking Show a year, a year ago. March. And at that time, I think he maybe had a thousand subscribers. Uh, currently, I just checked. He has 1.1 million subscribers now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, yeah. and he's, he's a wild man, absolute cool human. But the thing that I just am so encouraged, I love to, whenever Bobby puts out a new video, I love to go into the comment section, which is usually, uh, you know, a demilitarized zone. But I see over and over uh, younger people responding to him and being encouraged to get either into art for the first time or to revisit art that they had, you know, lost contact with. That's so cool. I, I had to load his YouTube page up and it, I'm already like, okay, I have to look at every one of these. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to start out with Maui's hook, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. It's a rabbit hole. But Bobby and I um, go back and forth every once in a while here on, on uh, you know, the Facebook groups and things. But Oh, cool. Um, very cool cat. And uh, it's just so cool to see a guy blow up like that for all the right reasons instead of, you know, weirdness and yep you know yeah, it's yeah it's kind of the dream product deals of or whatever, the yeah. democratization of the internet it, every yeah, once exactly. in a while it pays off yeah my um music selection might be a kind of an old school texas songwriter named ray wiley oh. hubbard if you've ever heard awesome of him. he's uh he's uh very much a poet in kind of a 
bluesy, uh, countryish, old school countryish blues type of manner. And he's getting up into his l- probably mid seventies now. So he's got this really cool gravelly voice. And if, if you, he has a quote from one of his songs that I wrote down that I thought you guys might, might like. And it's, the days that I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations, well, I have pretty good days. That's a keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He has the perfect name for what he does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he either had to be a songwriter or a serial killer. Taylor, do you have any, any links or anything else? Yeah, I, I think I might have mentioned it previously, but now the date's coming right up. So um, Seagraft Asia, which is uh, going to go down in Japan. So anyone that has an institution that'll send you out to stuff. That'll be a real fun one. Uh, that is due on July 1st. The uh, So if uh, any of you tech folks out there are looking for a cool place to travel, and there's going to be some great uh, curators involved, so take a look at that one. Uh, and then also I've been um, really getting into uh, these Tears for Fears cover songs. Do you know that they're just still hanging out and doing stuff, Tears for Fears? I did not what? know. What? <laughs> really? So they they were doing covers of like Animal Collective and other um contemporary bands. Um Wow. And it, I was never I was never any good at keeping up with music until Spotify changed my life and I I feel like uh-huh. I just have it it just plays all the time. And have you guys heard this thing where whenever somebody like if there's an artist who um you know, broke their leg and doesn't have insurance or whatever, there'll be this call that goes out that just says, okay, everybody play so-and-so's album on mute just all night. And let, like, let's see if we can. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I know that happened with Nelly. I think he like had to pay a giant tax bill. And so they said, we only have to stream it, you know, 40 billion times. You know? <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so, but yeah, they covered, uh, for example, um, and I was a boy from school is a really good one. And, uh, so yeah, so that's uh, somebody I've been listening to uh, this week while I've been working in Eagle, the most uh, non-intuitive program in the face of the earth. Uh huh. It's cool that they're a band that's been around forever, covering newer songs, like right. yeah, as opposed to the flip on that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's you cool. don't hear about anybody doing that. Rever- yeah, reverse yeah. covering for sure. Yes, and I think it's not all that new, but it, it was new to me. Yeah, that's really cool. I have three things. They're all physical objects. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is super simple and embarrassingly uh, so, but it's it's ball end hex keys. Yeah. So, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ever bought like the dopiest, cheapest hex keys I could ever find, <laughs> and they tend to just have flat ends on either end. You know, mm-hmm. and taking apart a 3D printer over and over and over again, I I uh, did a very dumb thing. It's a 2.5 millimeter hex key, and I dropped it, and it fell right between two floorboard cracks <laughs> <laughs> in my floor, <laughs> and fell straight through down into the you know. I only have a subfloor in my shop floor, and so it just like went through down into the ground. And I was like, I'm not crawling under the house to go get that 2.5 millimeter hex key. I'm just going to get a new set of hex keys. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, yeah, these have that little ball on the end. And that thing is amazing mm-hmm. because you really get so much more angle on it, you know, that you can just like not have to be head on turning it. 
Um, and I realize that's like a total low bar amazement, but no, <laughs> it's pretty great. I remember the first time I saw that and went, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yep. Yep. Totally brilliant. Yeah. I think that's yeah, actually that- a... Um- Oh no! I, I thought it, I was thinking that that's like an insult in the UK, but I think that's Bell End. If I Bell <laughs> if End, yes, sick, it is. <laughs> okay, the next two have the same kind of concept. So, the next one is this seventy-five dollar microscope. It's a digital microscope, and it goes from one to six hundred x magnification. Mm-hmm. Whoa! It has an LED light. It has a rechargeable battery. It can record video and stills onto an SD card and it's $75. Yeah. Okay. And I have link me for years. <laughs> yes, I will will do. I have for years wanted just a basic old microscope, you know, like being like, "Oh, I want to look at weird bugs or whatever." And then you're like, "Okay, I have to get a dissecting microscope if I want to look at bugs." But if I wanted to look at something like a plant cell, I'd have to get a different kind of microscope. And um I don't know if y'all listen to the Cool Tools podcast, but it's a podcast I really like a lot. Uh-huh. And um, a, a buddy of mine, Todd Kurt, who a lot of people know as Toddbot, he's a really cool electronics and maker person. He was on the podcast, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to listen to this one right away. And he recommended this, and he like 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 rocked my world. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the thing. This is like the it's like the thing I've always imagined. Now someone is telling me I can get. And so immediately I got it and like tore the box open and it, it does all the things. And then some like you can look at circuit boards underneath it. You can look at like any, anything that you're like, I want high power magnification. You just throw it under there and it works really well. And, um, it has an LED LCD screen. Like it's just amazing. And it's $75. I was just like, oh my gosh. And of course who makes it, but this brand that you've never heard of, right? Like, And that that was this thing that like really hit for me the past couple weeks. I was just like, there's so many things now that are brands that we've never heard of, but because of their reviews or whatever, they they are are popular or just well known. And so this microscope is made by a company called Coolertron, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. And you can imagine they spend like zero dollars in marketing budget. You know, they probably just like picked a, a company name out of a hat, you know, in Beijing or somewhere. And um, they make this amazing microscope, and it's super cool. And so that was my second pick. And then my third pick is the same type of thing, which is I need to get a new stud finder because I dropped mine and it Ooh, shattered finally after dropping it the 900th time. <laughs> and this, the best one I could find for the cheapest price is called uh, Aiko2, A-I-K-O-T-O-O. And it's 20 bucks, and it's like a third of the price of the DeWalt, you know, or whatever. And no, just on DeWalt or whatever. Like I just was like, Oh, I'm just going to get a stud finder and I want to get a cheap one. And it's so much better than anyone I've ever used before. Wow. Like it has a nice screen and it sort of tells you, um, like if there's an AC wire, you know, if it tells you like, Oh, if there's a, a dangerous situation that you could be drilling into it, you do have to do like a few, like a little wonky things. And the, the make I would say is not, super high like the plastic isn't really beefy but the screen is really nice and it really tells you um that sort of what you need to know like oh you're at the beginning of the stud and then you're probably at the middle part of the stud which is you know so you don't accidentally screw right into the side of the stud as opposed to in the center and stuff so it's really good 20 bucks very cool and um so far it's worked great for me so two two recommendations of things that are made by companies we've never heard of 
Excellent. I'm all about that microscope. Yeah. 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 I'll, 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 uh, I'll email you the link when we hang up. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Andy, lay it on us. What's, uh, what's our challenge? We are ready. It's one simple word. Macro. Yeah. Macro. Oh. All right. I just got a microscope, sadly. It's too bad it's not a macroscope. <laughs> I could build a macroscope. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Did, did, so I'm curious, Andy, maybe how you, was there a process that got you there or did it just pop in your head? Well, it's, um, in my, I like to switch between micro and macro as far as uh, my concentrated observation. Um, because to me, it's both ends trying to see things in their, in their most basic levels up close and then trying to open yourself up to, I mean, for out here, I have sky. I don't have mountains or anything. I have horizons and sky. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, especially on the weekends, I try to, really uh do a deep dive into both of those things oh and um because it's really a mind bend and um so i got one end of that and i decided that uh, i'd like to see what you guys did with it that's really cool yeah yeah that's cool wow all right sometimes i know the second i hear it and this time i'm just a blank slate (laughs) me too me too so (laughs) yeah I'm also uh, my work so here ready. is done. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Good luck trying to sleep, fellas. <laughs> Andy, th- thanks so much yeah, for being really, on the podcast. Yeah, really. That was great. Dude. Yeah, really, really great. I had a blast. Um, I, w- I will admit that I was like, I'm going to ask him. I don't know what he'll say. <laughs> <And so, laughs> really? I was really stoked that you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, because I know you're like super busy. Like anyone who makes custom things for a living, I can imagine is very uh short on time mm-hmm. um so well there's no concept was, of time so it doesn't matter oh well <laughs> yeah that's right drop a little buddhist knowledge right at the right on the back end there 